The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Listeners, you're tuned into Inspire FM. And welcome to the Ask Your Lawyer show, your weekly look into the law and what's moving and shaking within the realms of the legal world. I'm your host, Giazuddin. Um, I'm a director at Wolf & Co. Solicitors. And I've got with me a stellar cast today, and they're waiting to answer your questions and engage with you. What I want you to do, listeners, I want you to call in on 01582 481 822. I want you to text on 07779 481-822 and you can WhatsApp us on the same number. The topic of choice tonight is stop and search. Know your rights. Now, have you ever wondered what you should do when you're approached by the police? Do you know what your rights are? Have you ever thought about what the police can ask you, what they can ask you to do, and what they can do? Maybe you've been stopped and you wish to share your experiences with us. What I want you to do is call in and let's hear what you've got to say and ask. I'm going to introduce my expert panel now, and listeners, what I want you to do is certainly take up this chance to pick the brains of these individuals. They are experts in this area. They've taken their time uh, to come up and give us uh, their opinion, so let's take the chance to pick their brains. My first guest, Estelle Thornbar. Hello, Estelle. Hello. Hi. Uh, Estelle, I'm just going to read off your CV because it's easier to do it this way rather than ask you today. Uh, you were called in 2012 as a barrister and you're a barrister with Church Court Chambers. Yes. Uh, you're a criminal barrister and you've practiced defence work to a very high degree, inclu- including attempted murder and grievous bodily harm. Uh, you're also a grade one CBS prosecutor. Um, I noticed that you graduated from New- New- Newcastle University and you speak French as well as Hebrew. And that's a very impressive CV in, in, indeed. Um, listeners, I've had the uh, pleasure of instructing Estelle, and she, I, I can truly vouch for her and say she's a brilliant barrister. Thank uh, you, thoroughly recommended for me. Uh, my next guest is uh, another barrister, Gregory Wedge, and he is associated with uh, Church Court Chambers as well. Gregory's a, a well-established criminal barrister who's recently joined Church Court. Uh, he graduated from Nottingham University, and he's a grade two uh, CPS prosecutor. He's been instructed in a whole host of various, uh, very serious cases, including GBH and a series of uh, sub, uh, drug supply cases. I'm reliably informed by the clerks in chambers that he's an absolute superstar. Um, listeners, both of those, both of the barrister profiles, they're available on the Church Court website, so I'd invite you to go and, and view them. And remember, you can instruct either of these barristers, if you wish, via your solicitors. Um, you don't need to wait for your soli- uh, solicitors. If you need legal advice to instruct them, you can do that yourself via your solicitors. My final guest, um, Atik Malik, does he really need an introduction? Um, I think he does, because apparently he never gets to say anything about himself, so I will. Uh, Atik qualified as a solicitor in 2007, and between then and now, he's, he's established himself as a, a regional, and I'd say even national powerhouse in criminal and employment law. Uh, he's a Crown Court advocate and has presented cases uh, in the Employment Appeals Tribunal as well. Most of our listeners will be uh, familiar with him from presenting this very show and his numerous television appearances, uh, for example, on the BBC, GMTV and 24 Hours in Police Custody. He's currently involved in groups tackling issues such as Prevent, Windrush and even the uh, tragedy at Grenfell. In addition to my live studio guests, I've got two prominent individuals who will give us expert insight during the course of the show. Um, So without further ado, I'm going to move on to the questions. Uh, And the first question I suppose we need to ask is, what is stop and search and where does it all come from? Um, 
Gregory, should I start with you? Oh, yeah. Well, stop and search is a power that the police can use, um, is if they have reasonable grounds of suspicion for, for searching you. Um, they can detain you for the purposes of the search. They don't have to arrest you, but they have to have reasonable suspicion uh, that you have something on you that they might, may want of interest. So, for example, they must have form the genuine suspicion that you have something on you that they want to they want to see so so for example um you could have suspicion for a knife or suspicion of drugs and then they have to have second of all a reasonable suspicion which means that there has to be an objective basis for them to have that suspicion now some people may think that the police can stop you for any reason whatsoever uh, that's not true but there is a very broad definition to what reasonable suspicion means um it can be things for example intelligence in linking um, gang members so police could have intelligence that people wearing a grey hoodie for a gang that wear grey hoodies could have a knife so they can stop and search you if you're unfortunate enough to wear a grey hoodie for example so it's a very very broad definition but what they can't do is just stop you for any reason they have to have the reasonable suspicion that they have grounds to suspect you have something on you Right. Tick, have you got anything yeah, can I just uh, uh, sort of focus on what are the origins of stop and search? Where yeah. does it come from? What is the foundation of it? Absolutely. If you ask the average police officer, average person, average lawyer, they'll say to you stop and search originates from the Police and Criminal Evidence Act 1984. So they would say that is the source, the, the date of conception of stop and search. But in actual fact, there's more to this story. Stop and search used to exist under another piece of legislation under Section 4 of the Vagrancy Act. And the reason it became famous under the Vagrancy Act is because in the 1980s there was a, there was a phenomenon in England, England which took place due to the rise of the far right and the racist narratives in the country which resulted in the race riots. And the race riots, uh, you know, historically in Britain is a key moment and during the race riots, the police used the power of the Vagrancy Act to stop and control people. And at the conclusion of that, there was great criticism of the police, how they used their powers. And campaigning took place by activists across the country about how the powers that were used were racist in their nature. This led to the law being repealed in 1981. So then we had a couple of years of no stop and search <laughs> powers. And then it was brought back in again in 1984 under the PACE, Police and Criminal Evidence Act uh, legislation. And that's where we are today. That's a fascinating insight into the uh, history of where this all came from. Estelle, have you got anything to add to what, what's been said by Atik and uh, Gregory in relation to um, where all of this stuff comes from? No, simply that, uh, well, what I, what I would add is that um, it, it's right to say that in 1984, uh, stop and search was effectively standardised um, through uh, the Police and Criminal Evidence Act. Um, but it's also right to say that uh, the controversy um, and um, the contention around stop and search didn't stop there. And even since 1984, right up until today, right up until continuing into the future, um, there is a great deal of controversy that surrounds stop and search, and it continues to evolve. Um, even after 1984, we had the McPherson report, um, and jumping off the back of yeah. um, what Atik just said about uh, racism rouse, uh, and that, of course, exposed uh, great racism um, within the police, um, and so we're continuing right up until this day. It continues to be a very, very controversial, uh, probably the most controversial police tactic that there is. Brilliant. Uh, uh, we will certainly be getting into the racism and controversy uh, in, in due course. Uh, what I wanted to do, firstly, was tackle the b basics before we go into that. Um, Greg, when can the police stop you uh, and why would they stop you? 
Well, as I say, it all comes back to the reasonable grounds for suspicion, and it is a, a very broad definition. Uh, there can be all sorts of reasons. There can be intelligence-linked reasons. There can be the way that you're acting. So a policeman can form the view that, say, for example, you're in a darkened area trying to hide something, and they can form the view that perhaps they want to stop and search you to see what you're trying to hide if it's something illegal. Uh, as I say, there, there are issues with regards to racial profiling, and it has been a, you know, a, a current issue. The Independent Police Complaints Commission have mm. uh, commissioned a report into to seeing if there is racial pro profiling with regards to stop and search. But in theory, the principles under the, the 1984 Act are to try and influence and trying to instil community harmony community, um, harmonious community relationships within the community. The, the whole idea of stop and search in its theories, not to, to do racial profiling, it's to use the idea of reasonable suspicion. But sometimes it can be perceived that a reasonable suspicion can turn into racial profiling because of the statistics, which are, in certain areas, including Bedford, quite alarming with regards to who is more likely to be stopped and searched than others. Right, OK. Atik, in its current form, the legislation, let me get your opinion on this. Do you think that it's gonna, it does naturally lead uh, uh, to unfair stops and racial profiling? The way I see it is this, um, legislation ha has got um, a safety uh, mechanism built into it where the stop and search should only take place where there is reasonable suspicion. Yeah, let's tackle reasonable suspicion before we go into what, what is reasonable suspicion? Because we mentioned it four or five times here. Tell us what reasonable suspicion is and then go back to that. Uh, the but there are grounds under the test of reasonableness of what a reasonable person would think. It's okay. an objective test. But there, there are grounds in whatever the circumstances there are at the time to suspect that the person in question may be involved in having committed a offence or about to commit an offence. So... Then the question arises, well, what amounts to grounds? Yeah. If someone's black or brown, does that amount to grounds? If someone's wearing certain clothes, does that amount to grounds? Mm. If certain persons of a certain age, does that amount to grounds? If a person's got previous criminal record, does that amount to grounds? The answer to all of those questions is no. Okay. So what does amount to grounds? There has to be something happening, I'd say, in the area which justifies it. So, for example, there's been a burglary or an attack and a description has been given of a certain vehicle with a certain registration number in the area or even just the vehicle itself, make and model, or a description of a person of a certain description being in that area and the police then are in that immediate vicinity and see someone or a car of that description matching it. Then, arguably, they may have grounds to stop and search. But if they're just driving along, and they see somebody, we don't like the look of them because of their race, religion, age, sexual orientation, disability, gender. And you might think, well, that's a bit wide, isn't it? We're mm. just talking about race. Why has he gone into other, other um, examples? Yes. It's because when we talk about race and racial profiling, we talk about discrimination. And under the Equality Act, discrimination is, ref is reference to protected characteristics. And protected characteristics include not just race, but religion, sex, sexual orientation, uh, age, disability. And so if somebody is profiled because of that and they are stopped and searched and something happens, well, then that is still discrimination and that is still unlawful. And I know I'm going on a bit, but just to shed light on Luton, in Luton we had a case of a stop and search where we, the community and the legal team, were of the opinion 
that the stop and search was unlawful because it was done because of the person's race and disability. You will remember the case of Farouk Ali, everybody in Luton. You will remember that the officers were dismissed for what happened. And it was always the family's case that when the officers saw that he was disabled, an autistic 30-year-old man walking along the street, and their responses, it was always their case that part of their conduct was motivated by disability. So it's just the flavour that, yes, racial profile is at the top, but equally, the police can... You know, you always have good and bad everywhere. We're not saying the police force as a whole is racist because you get good people in there too. Of course. But a few bad apples, in, like in every situation, spoil it for the good majority. And, you know, a, a person who profiles somebody can do it on many different characteristics, not just race. However, statistics do show race. And I think Estelle's got some amazing statistics on Bedfordshire. But once she's finished, I think if I have a moment just to shed light on a national picture because this is of course a national problem and not just a Luton problem. Estelle, before you just go into those statistics, I know Atik's mm. m- mentioned them, I'm going to put the question to you. Is it a question of legislation or is it a question of application by the individual when, when these things happen? Well, first of all, uh, it's important to mention that um, the stop and search is governed by uh, Code A of the Police and Criminal Evidence Act 1984. And, and that is a code uh, and it's a document that is available uh, to anybody. It's available online. If you're arrested, you're at a police station, that is something that's available to you. Um, and that effectively governs the way uh, that we look at stop and search. Um, in terms of whether it's um, application or whether it's legislation, well, it's both. Theresa May, um, in her time as Home Secretary, uh, tried, well, tried to make steps, move forward, and, and that resulted in a consultation in 2014, um, which was aimed at further explaining what is meant by... Um, reasonable grounds, reasonable suspicion. And yeah. so we did end up with some changes um, in the law. But but what I will say is that, in my view, if you look at the code, it's quite clear to see that there is a bit of a catch-all, really, for the officers. Um, the reality is that uh, they are held accountable, and if anybody reads the code, they'll see that there's been great care taken to ensure um, that, in accordance with the Equality Act 2010, you're not going to be discriminated against. Mm. However, um, it, for example, um, when it comes to reasonable suspicion, uh, th- th- there is a phrase here, and it's that an officer who forms the opinion that a person is acting suspiciously or that they appear to be nervous, um, first of all, they'll have to be able to explain, with reference to specific aspects of the person's behaviour or conduct, which they've observed, why they've formed that opinion. But again, that is an opinion, mm. um, and, and it's an opinion that they can form, and, and that is entirely... In, in the application of how, how it is applied. Um, and so, in reality, there's a great deal of power. It's extremely wide. But it seems that, um, especially under Theresa May's government and, and what she did as Home Secretary, um, they tried to ensure it was more accountable, uh, that police were more accountable. Um, but the reality is that w- when we look at the statistics, fine, we're definitely not where we were once, um, but we're certainly... Um, we're still not where we should be. I think, very briefly, picking up Estelle on that point, regards to the efforts have been made, and I think it is more of a, an application point, because on the very first paragraphs of Code A, paragraph 1.1, says that the power to stop and search must be used fairly, responsibly, with respect for people being searched, and without unlawful discrimination. And it goes on to mention the Equality Act. So I think it is 
as Stel says, it's, it is more of an, an application problem because it's the opinion of the officer, not really the legislation that makes most stops and searches. Fascinating insight, and I'm sure we can speak about that kind of thing all day. Um, what I'm going to do, listeners, I'll remind you that you can call in on 01582481822. You can text and WhatsApp in on 0779481822. I'm going to go to telephone line, telephone lines now because um, I've got a special guest on the line for you. Uh, many of you will recognise her as a, as a social advocate who, who does a lot of good work in Luton. Um, Sandra Glenn I've got on the line. She's a community and social advocate, as I've said. Um, she's worked previously as an independent advisor to the police. and She's got some real insight um, for us. Um, hello, Sandra, are you on the line? Yes, hi. hi hello, Sandra. Thank you. Hi. How are you? No, not too bad, not too bad. Can I just firstly thank you for coming online and taking your time uh, uh, to give us your insight. Uh, Sondra, tell us a a bit about the work that you've done with Beds Police. Well, I've um, I've been involved in the policing environment for 16 years, 14 of which I served formally as an independent advisor. That's a volunteer for the police with a formal framework where you you sign up on a civilian recruitment form, you go through a vetting of yourself and your family members if you have a household with other people in it. So it's quite intensive and then you serve in a structured way for monthly meetings where you're feeding into um, an agenda set for that meeting. And as I was the chair, I would set the agenda, cover a certain policing topic, an issue in the community, and I had 12 fantastic members who I worked with for eight years straight. It's a very diverse group, including the likes of um, Asha Ahmed, MBE, and Saeed Haider Hussain. And um, I also worked with uh, John Fullerton, who's still the chair of Birds Neighborhood Watch, and others, Barbara Felsen, whom I might, you might know from the, from the Jewish um, community. Yeah. Some, very ma- some very amazing people who are still out there doing that work today, including, as I said, Montel Nuffle, who was on the committee at one time, but now he's also the chair of the new Stop and Search Scrutiny Panel. Right. Okay. Uh, and I'm sure the, the community of Luton, uh, we're very grateful for your for your great work and the rest of the people that you mentioned. Um, sort of, what is your experiences with Bedfordshire Police, particularly in relation to Stop and Search? Uh, I know that having spoken to you and I've had experience speaking to you, you've got a lot of views uh, and a lot of insightful views. What can you tell our uh, listeners about how Beds Police are doing in terms of how uh, they're dealing with stop and search and um, what kind of things have they thought about, what kind of things have they implemented uh, to help in the view that sometimes stop and search can be discriminatory? Mm-hmm. I think that over the years, I've been, I'm, I'm born in Luton, but I've been working back in Luton here for 15 odd years now and seeing it on a daily basis. And I think that our Bedfordshire police have had a more proactive listening ear where they've sought to improve the service with the power of the people's voice. For example, a few years ago we had lots of shootings in Marsh Farm and they were stopping certain marked cars. They had the registration plates in the system which flagged them, and so some people were phoning me up saying they got stopped over and over again. I raised mm. it with the control room supervisor and the senior officer at the time who I would report into. They then took a, a quick review of all the plates that were being stopped more than once or twice in a day or once, more than once or twice That's in a two-day period, That's and they terrible. removed them. They removed them from the system so they stopped and such was no longer on those vehicles because vehicles, the vehicle might have moved on to the mother, was formerly used by a son who may have been of 
of it of a trouble to the police or something of that kind, and basically it becomes a marked car, which I I wasn't aware that plates were marked in that manner until that problem came up. But the police did act on it, and it's changed the way in which cars are reviewed in you in Luton and Bedfordshire now. It's never been. Um, I've not heard of that problem in recent years. I do believe that made a change for good. Sondra, for those who haven't got reached to you, for example, you've told us that. I mean, people approach you directly, and you manage to get in touch with Bed's police directly. What, what what advice would you give them? What would advice would you give to a person who says to me now, "Look, listen, the police." Uh, uh, keep on stopping me. What advice would you give to those kind of people, the people who haven't got direct say, contact with you? Say the likes yes, of you. Yes, I would say use the use the formal complaints route on the police website. Don't just call up uh, one hundred and one. Do it the, do it do it through the computer if you can get onto a PC, or or fill out the form and download it and send it in so that it goes to the police complaints area. You can also send that same complaint to our Police and Crime Commissioner, Catherine Holloway. She also has the uh, complaint system that ties into the police complaints, the official complaints complaint system, and does a review of complaints coming into the police on an annual basis. That's part of her role. So I would say get your complaint heard. Get that 28-day response, and if you don't like it, there are certain routes you can go through to get it formally reviewed. It actually goes out to a, a, a tri-party uh, consultation. I think it's, our force has to go to Cambridge or something like that right. for a major complaint to be reviewed by another force. So if you don't like the first level of, of, of um, suggestion or remedy, you can actually take it up further, almost like an, almost like an appeals process. People don't realise they have the right to complain about the service that we're paying for. Right. Okay, that's very, very insightful, Sondra. Sondra, what do you think? How do you think it's going to develop with Bedfordshire Police? I mean, are you still engaged with them? Are you? Have you got any more recommendations that you're going to put to them uh, to move things on in the future, or do you think that they're doing a good job of it right now? No, I actually, um, I, I give my concerns and complaints straight to the officers. I would send an email. Mm-hmm. Um, I, because of my time with the police service, I can actually send an email and, and I'm fortunate enough to get to be heard quite quickly. I've actually um, asked police, the police plan commissioner if she would give me a two-hour one-to-one radio interview in the new year, and she's accepted that. So I'm looking for a way to host that discussion about her third year in, into her office and how she, what she's going to do for Bedfordshire in, in the years to come while she's in office because it's all about funding, she told me. But we're going to look at her concerns, compliments and critique. I think that's important. And she's, she's agreed to be totally transparent with me on a one-to-one interview, which I think is also good, which most people wouldn't have access to do that. And I think it's great that she's accepted my challenge. Um, I am glad that also that we can also reach our chief constable, John Boucher. Mm. I think people don't realize that they, they write to him, email the chief constable's office and make a suggestion or recommendation. We actually locally can, can get a response and he will take on board something, the stuff that's been said to him. I think many of your, your citizens, particularly from the Asian Muslim community, know they can do that because I've seen you proactively and successfully raise stuff that's benefited all of us in the past. Sora, your insight has been absolutely brilliant. I'm really heartened by what you've said. Uh, and, and as a citizen of Bedfordshire, I thank you for the past work that you've done. Um, I'm very grateful for your input. Thanks very much. No problem. Thank you.
you too, because the community partnership working that we've just together, we all raise things that benefit, like Farouk Ali and the autistic support for the vulnerable has benefited the whole of Bedfordshire. So please, let's keep up the good work together and season's greetings to everybody. Brilliant. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Take care. Right. Fascinating input from yes. Sandra Melinda, and she really yes. is a, a very inspiring lady. Um, coming back to my experts, um, yeah. let's carry on with the questions. Uh, sorry, uh, Estelle, were you going well, to... Well, I just wanted to say off the, off the back of what Sandra just said, which was about um, if you find yourself in a position where you keep getting stopped, um, and she said something very important, which is that we all have the right to complain. Uh, and alongside that is the fact that um, every stop and search that is conducted must be recorded, um, and you as the person who is um, being stopped and searched have the right um, mm. and indeed are encouraged uh, to request a copy because there is a recording made of every stop and search, not necessarily a stop and account where you might speak with the police, uh, but if they stop and search you, it has to be recorded and you are entitled uh, to a copy of that and the reasons why you were stopped and searched. Um, and so um, it, it, it may be that if those are collected um, and used uh, during a complaint, it might carry more force. It's, it's, it's a good point because it follows up on the duties of the police under the under Code A of PACE. Um, there, are, there are provisions for suspected misuses and police supervisors have to monitor the use of stop and search. They have to monitor individual officers' stop and search records. And if they identify patterns, there are mechanisms in place for them to review those stop and search patterns. And if necessary, they can introduce disciplinary proceedings for, for example, poor performance or misconduct. And that is in the provisions, and it seems like Bevisher Police, from what Sandra is saying, are, are using that to good effect. Excellent. Um, we are just about to go to a break, uh, listeners. What I want you to do is tune in afterwards where we'll be getting our second expert to give further insight into this fascinating topic. See you after the break. You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programmes from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh, listeners. Um, welcome back to the show. My name is Gia Zudin, uh, of Wolf & Co. Solicitors, and you're tuned back into the Ask Your Lawyer show. Today we've been speaking about stop and search and, and I want you to call in on 01582481822 and I want you to text and WhatsApp to 0779481822. Um, I'm going to reintroduce my guests, Gregory Wedge, Estelle Thorma, both of them, both of whom are barristers and I've got the director of Liberty Law Solicitors uh, and you, you probably all know him, Atik Malik here. Um, we had a fascinating show uh, in the first half and I want to carry things on. Um, whilst we're waiting for our next uh, star guest to uh, call in, I'm going to ask a, another question to our expert panel. Um, can a PCSO stop you uh, and can a special constable stop you? A, a PCSO can, can stop you but they can't search you. Um, they, can, they can detain you and um, wait for a police officer to come and search you, but what they can't do is search you themselves. Um, they are allowed to use reasonable force to detain you, to wait for a police officer to arrive, but they can't search you. So all they can do is uh, stop you, but they can't search you, and that's, that's the job of a police officer. Right. Okay, that's in, in, interesting to know. Um, my next guest uh, I've, got, I've got on the line is Montel Neufeld. He's 
with the Bedfordshire Police Scrutiny Panel. Um, and I think they look into the stop and search powers and, and, and they monitor them. Um, hello, Montel. Good evening. How are you? Uh, I'm fine, thank you. Am I pronouncing your? Am I firstly? Am I pronouncing you your name okay? And you am I allowed to call you Montel? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Montel. Yeah, of course you are. Okay, well, um, tell us about yourself. Uh, what is it that you actually do? Okay, so um, I chair the um, Bedfordshire Police Community Scrutiny Panel, and that monitors how stop and search is used across Bedfordshire. Okay, uh, and, and what is your actual job? In, in tail, what, how do you monitor uh, um, okay. the stop and search house? Do you want me to give you a bit of background about the Please panel do. itself? Please yeah, do. I think, I think it's worth me talking about the background and how the panel was set up and where it came about and where we are in the overall journey. Please do. Okay. So, um, first of all, um, a previous expert mentioned on your programme, um, the Bethesda Stop and Search scheme came in place in 2014. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that required um, every police force to sign up to do a number of things. First of all, to set up an independent community scrutiny panel. Mm -hmm. Second, to publish stop and search data. Third, to introduce a ride-along scheme. Fourth, to reduce something called a section 60 stop and search is how they were actually um, used. And fifth, to ensure that complaints are looked at by the independent panel. So our role is to be that community scrutiny. Um, so in 2015, the panel was up in Bedfordshire. And my background, I'm a trainer and facilitator. And I've been doing work mainly with local authorities and the police for a long time. Okay. But, it, but in 2015, I took over the panel. Now, I'm, I was very much aware that um, police scrutiny panels, even though they're called independent, are very rarely independent. Okay, why do you say that? Because they're not. Because for two key reasons. Number one, the police are dictated the terms of reference what they can and can't do. And that controls any group. Number two, they decide who's on the panel and how it works. Right, okay. But, so what I did, the guy um, stated that um, I would only take over a deputy panel if it was truly independent. And that means myself and the panel run the panel. Okay. And we work in partnership with the police and the police crime commissioner. But the final decisions are those of the panel. Um, so uh, that, um, that was agreed in 2015. Now, I'll tell you where we are now, and then I'll tell you how we got there. Yeah. What we have in Bedfordshire is the United Kingdom policing best practice model how stop and search should be scrutinised in a country. Uh, how was that developed? With, with, with your assistance? So, or? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so it's been developed um, with a huge amount of work, not only with myself, but a huge input from my vice chair, with Kimberly Lamb, fantastic lady, mm -hmm. um, plus other panel members. And I'll talk you through the introductions that we've brought about um, and how we've done that. And I would also give credit to Bedfordshire Police leadership, because quite often um, I bang on their door and I tell them that they need to change or need to do something different. Yeah. And they've gone with it every time. Uh, oh, so you're confirming that they have listened to you and they have implemented changes? 
Absolutely. Um, so in Bedfordshire, they do that. Brilliant. And I go to other click forces. I go to the Met, I go to Hertfordshire, etc. And other forces come to Bedfordshire. The biggest barrier is click leaders, they think they can't or they won't listen. Okay. In Bedfordshire, we've changed and we've done lots of things differently. And I'm going to talk you through some of those um, things that we've done and other forces have either copied or they're copying. Okay. So first of all, we were the first one to look at um, body-worn videos. Mm -hmm. So what we do is, we, is my wife here goes into the police station and they sample body-worn videos. And they do, every time they do stop and search, they are recorded onto a system. We go in and we sample randomly and then we scrutinise them. Um, so oh, we sorry, how often is that done then, the random sampling? Okay, so um, my wife here does it every month. Okay. And the panel looks at them every quarter. Okay. Do you know about okay. how many st uh, stop and searches are done uh, as a sample? I know one of my experts. Yeah, so, so, um, so in a year, last year, there were 1,600 stop and searches done in Bedfordshire. Okay. We would look at, um, well, my wife here would look at um, around about 10 per month. Okay. Because a stop and search can take anything from two minutes to 45 minutes. Yeah. Do you know what the Although, stats were on that in terms of ethnicity of who was stopped? That's Atik yeah. Malik uh, asking you. Sorry, the, Montel, you, are you okay, yeah? Yeah, hi. Yeah, hi there. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, do you know the stats about ethnicity in terms of stops? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Do you want me to walk you through them? Please. Yeah, if you could just quick, yeah, okay. quick sort of so, highlights. Yeah, yeah so um, just very quickly, um, they're calculated in three different ways. UK-wide, the Met's wide, and the, and the reason why the Met is done separately is they do one third of every stop and search in the whole country is done in London. That's shocking. And then, yeah. uh, it, you're absolutely right, it's shocking. And um, Bedfordshire wide. Mm. So I'll just walk you through those figures. So, um, in the um, UK last year, 300,000 stop and searches were done. That's down from 1.2 million, which was done in 2015. In no, but what was the ethnicity breakdown of those top okay. percentage? So, okay, so the uh, breakdown in Bedfordshire, um, in terms of the disproportionality rate, is that what you want to know? That's right, yeah, in nationally and locally. Okay, so for the disproportionality rate, if you are so it's calculated in four different ways, um, you get the high, you get the ethnic group and you divide it by the white group, okay? Mm. So if you're black, nationally, you're around about seven times more likely to be stopped and searched than if you're white. Mm -hmm. If you are Asian, um, and that is Southeast Asian, then you're around about three times more likely to be stopped and searched. Mm -hmm. If you are Chinese, you are less likely to be stopped and searched than if you are white. If you're mixed race, you are four times more likely. Oh, in Bedfordshire, wow. the rate in Bedfordshire if you are black, you are right about three and a half times more likely to be stopped and checked. If you are Asian, between two and three times more likely. If you are mixed race, right about four times more likely. So the improved figures on the uh, if you are black, but around the same if you are mixed race or Asian in in Bedfordshire. Yeah. yeah. Can, they, I, can I just take another question if I may? Uh, uh, yeah, Montel, we've got uh, one of our guests, uh, one of guest barristers. Oh, Montel, I just want to ask you, the, the, the use of body-worn body footage, do you think it's a positive thing now that every most stop and searches are, are recorded on body-worn footage rather than um, in the past when they weren't? A hundred percent it is positive for two reasons. First of all, 
when anything is recorded, it automatically moderates behaviour. It moderates behaviour for the officer and for the person who's been recorded. And secondly, we can use it as a management tool um, and so can the senior officer. Because then we can go back and we can check. We can check patterns of behaviour. Right. Okay. Fascinating, Montel. Absolutely fascinating. I want to take you back to uh, one thing that you d- briefly did mention. You said there was uh, a ride-along scheme. Um, how does that yeah. work? Yeah, so as part of the practice um, of stop and check scheme, every um, police force has introduced a ride-along scheme and how that works is any member of the public, um, so you or any of your listeners, mm-hmm. can go on to the Bedford Big website and ask to go on to a ride-along. So, uh, be, sorry, I, I don't know if you heard that, listeners. If you're interested in going on the ride along scheme, you can go to the Bedfordshire uh, website, Montel uh, tells us, uh, and you can uh, uh, go on to the ride along scheme. Something that yeah. seems like a good yeah, idea absolutely. for them. And then what happens is they do a very brief um, check, um, just a vetting check, just a very brief one, and then um, they then give you a date. And what happens is they give you, well, they ask you if you want to do it from either um, Kempton or Luton, and then they put you with an officer, and you stay with the officer, and you accompany them for the whole day. Sounds like something really worthwhile doing, and uh, listeners, I'd encourage you to do that if Bedford Police are uh, taking uh, the effort to set up those kind of schemes, and Montel's obviously uh, central to that. I'd certainly ask you, I uh, think that would be a good idea for us to go on those things. Uh, Montel, just... If I can take up another minute of your time, I think Estelle Thorma's got another, uh, our other guest has got a question for you. Um, of course. Yes, so you spoke about the national statistics, but um, some listeners probably are quite interested in what the Bedfordshire specific statistics are when it comes to stop and search. Do you have those available? Um, not right now, but I know quite a lot of the um, stats off by heart. So if you ask me questions, I should have an idea. Well it, well, it, well, it was simply more how, how much more likely are you uh, to be stopped and searched if you are black or Asian in comparison to oh, being yeah, white? Oh, yeah, sorry, I did, I did actually say that. Um, yeah, but, for um, Bedfordshire. Um, yeah, you did. yeah okay. So for um, Bedfordshire, if you are black, you are round about three and a half times more likely to be stopped and searched. Um, if you are mixed race, round about four times, which is the same as a national figure, okay? Um, and if you are Asian, you're between two and three times more likely. Just out of interest, Montel, because um, I, th- I think when you when you mentioned that Met Police statistic, I was quite shocked. What's the comparison with the Met Police then? Okay, so this is a very interesting fact. If you live in Bedfordshire, mm. you are far more likely to be stopped and searched by a Met officer than you are by a Bedfordshire officer. And I'm going to tell you an interesting fact. Wow. London has got 32 boroughs. Mm-hmm. Okay, the average borough will make eight thousand stop and searches in a year. Mm-hmm. Bedfordshire will do sixteen hundred for the whole county. Wow. So as a comparison, Luton have got two hundred and ten thousand people. The average borough in in London will have round right about two hundred thousand, hundred and eighty to two hundred and forty thousand. Yeah, so comparable. Comparable, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. So that is comparable to Luton. Okay. In Luton the average number of stop and searches per year is eight to nine hundred. In London, 8,000. So about wow. 10 double gates in London for everyone in um, Bedfordshire. Right. So in comparison, I think it's better in Bedfordshire then, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we got, we got complaints, but we, we haven't received one 
single complaint for, from a, well, actually, sorry, we have only received one complaint about a Bedfordshire stop and search, only one. Okay, we've received loads of complaints about Bedfordshire people being stopped and searched in London and a few wow. in Hertfordshire because most of our residents don't realise that we have county forces. They think it's one national police force. No, of course. I mean, what I would just say to that is um, either that's because Bedfordshire police are doing a good job or because um, the people who are affected aren't complaining. So if there are people out there, I would say if you are aggrieved, do not hesitate from raising a complaint because that is your right. The police are not your masters. They are not in charge. They are public servants. You are the taxpayer. They're there to do a job. Um, yeah, I have to say, yes, you know, this is you know the way it is. And yeah, if, if you feel that you've been discriminated against, or the stop is unlawful, do not fear from submitting a complaint. There is no reason to fear, fear that, is there? Yeah. I 100% agree with you. I also encourage everybody to make a complaint if you feel that you're being treated unfairly. We welcome complaints. We know the police welcome complaints. We want to look into complaints. If anybody has a complaint, make a complaint, and then we can follow that complaint through. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. What, what Thank we, you, Montel. Montel, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the uh, station. Real brilliant insight. Um, uh, I want to thank you on behalf of the public for calling in, and uh, um, I'm sure we'll have you on the show uh, again soon. Thank you, Montel. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. A fascinating insight from Montel Neufeld there. Um, my dear guest, I'm going to go back to a few more questions that I've got for you, that I've got for you. Um, if I'm stopped and let's say for example there could be reasonable suspicion okay um can i be forcefully searched if i refuse to be searched well the police are allowed to use um reasonable force to search you if they have formed uh, reasonable suspicion so yes so they can detain you uh, and search you using reasonable force okay and what happens if i don't speak english if you don't as i say they have, they have to take reasonable steps if you, if you don't speak english they have to try and take the steps to ensure that you understand what's going on because if they can't explain to you what's going on then they can't reasonably carry out a search so the pace code says that they have to either if they're with somebody else and they can translate then perhaps they could do it that way um, but what some police forces do i don't know if Bedfordshire use it they have they have telephone translator systems and yeah. uh, they have so they have to ensure that you understand what's going on because they have to explain it to you they have to go through the reasonable steps so they have to identify themselves as a police officer mm. they have to say why they're detaining you and under what legislation so for example if they were going to detain you for the purposes of a drug search it's, it's under the drugs act uh, and it's just it's just the way that, that they do it and they have to ensure that you understand what's going on and so if you don't speak english they have to make reasonable arrangements to understand that either you can be explained it to in your own language or explained to in another way that makes you understand what's going on right and see how long should they really be taking to do these kind of things that will stop you Oh, well, as how long they should take, uh, um, you know, in pace, throughout, you will hear the words prompt and effective everywhere. You know, you have to be done straight away in timely fashion, because when someone's stopped, mm. there's a restraint uh, on their liberty, even though you're not in, in, in a cell. Your liberty has been, you know, paused, if, if I may say, for, for a certain period, limited even. Mm. Um, but just going back to stop and search, what exactly is a search? You know, I'm sure you listeners want to know that. What is a search? What can you search? You can search a vehicle if you believe that your possession, of, if the police have reasonable grounds for suspecting your possession of something mm. within your vehicle, which you should not have. Um, they can search your clothes. 
But all your outer clothes, they can't start strip searching Can you I ask on you the roadside. Remove your clothes? No, not on a roadside. I mean, they've got, as if it's outer jacket, maybe just for a search, but your actual clothes. What if they've got reasonable suspicion? No, that you're they, they, they cannot. You know, you have to have respect someone's dignity. You have the Human Rights Act, which has various um, impacts that, uh, from there. Um, of you cannot take, you know, uh, you cannot use oppression when you're implementing police powers. Mm. You cannot torture someone. You cannot. Um, uh, you, be abusive to them, you cannot um, subject to degrading treatment, which that could come into. So, so any of that would make it unlawful. Um, the other thing is, we heard from Estelle that the police have to give you um, a search record, and we've heard from Greg as well you know, about, um, in briefly, what they have to tell you. But just so, if I can just clarify that, what the police have to tell you. Yeah. The police have to tell you their name if they're going to do a stop and search, okay? They have to tell you what police station they're from. They have to tell you what the reasonable suspicion is for, what exactly they're searching for. The fact that you're detained, they have to tell you that. They also have to tell you that you're entitled to a copy of the search record. So aside from you requesting a copy, they have to tell you you're entitled to it. Okay. They also have to tell you um, if they're in plain clothes, because sometimes officers are not in uniform. Mm, right? Fine, yeah. Plain clothes, they have to tell you that they are police officers and show you their ID. Mm. And the interesting thing is this, all of this list that I've just told you, it doesn't take effect if you ask for it. It takes effect as part of the stop and search. So even if you don't ask for it, stop and search takes place and they haven't provided that information, then you can still challenge the stop and search and say it's unlawful because they failed at A, B and E, for example. Yeah. And, and finally, um, one final thing I just want to add, but one final thing I want to add is what else you can do. We've heard about the cameras, yeah? We've heard about the um, cameras that the police now have on the uniforms and, the, and there is concern about the cameras, by the way, because who controls when they switch them on and switch them off? They're not always switched on, by the way. Mm. But Probably. we have cameras too, don't we? On our mobile phones. Can we film the police? Of examples on the internet yeah, yeah. But are we lawfully allowed to film the police when they're doing a stop and search? Well, why don't you answer that question? Yes, we can. There's no legislation that says you cannot film the police. And to be honest with you, we've seen some magnificent examples in social media where the police have been caught on there and have been brought to account for their behaviour. And I think it's very important. We live in a in an age where technology can is there to help us. The recording equipment for the police is not just there for the police, but it's there for us too. And again, we've got cameras. If you feel you're being treated unfairly, don't be abusive and give them an, an opportunity to arrest you and do other you know and prosecute you but yes f feel free to film them listener you've heard the advice of a tick there um and i think what he's suggesting is if you think mm -hmm. that, uh, that there's some issue here you can't cut out your cameras and uh, and record uh, i think he's saying don't be abusive or break no, of course of course and another common question you get by stopping searches do i need to give my name and address what do you need to give your name and address? Only for reasonable suspicion yeah. of a defence. Yeah. So simply because officers asked you, you then have to. You are within your rights to say why. Estelle, let me turn to you. If I think Atik briefly touched on it, but I just want to uh, uh, um, make sure that the uh, listeners are aware. If one of those one of the parameters that Atik's mentioned, uh, for example, um, you weren't given a, uh, you weren't told why you were being searched, what should, what should a member of the public do afterwards, considering that they probably at the time won't be able to do anything about it other than go through things? 
Well, well, if it, well, first of all, it's also just important just going back a step because mm. we've we've spoken a lot about stop and search, but it's important also that people are aware that the, the police can still speak to you, they can still stop you and, right. and ask you questions. Yeah. Um, but if you're not being detained at that time, you can walk away at any time. You're so if you're not detained, you can simply walk away. If you're not detained away. and there's no reasonable um, suspicion yeah. um, that you're carrying anything or, or, or reasonable right. um, suspicion to hold you for any reason, then you can walk away. Do you need to give your name, address or anything like that? Give any reasons why you're somewhere? You don't. The, the only you don't. Um, but, but the only thing to bear in mind is, given how wide we've discussed um, the parameters are uh, of what might form a um, reasonable suspicion in an officer's mind, um, you may want to take that into consideration if you're asked um, in the street to to perhaps explain what you're doing. You might want to consider that because it, something quite innocent and simple could, um, I think, when an officer is questioning you. Um, Whilst they might not have had reasonable suspicion when they first saw you, following mm. a conversation with you, they can form a reasonable suspicion. And so, um, yes, you can walk away. You have that right. The, the question you should ask is, am I being detained? Uh, you should already know because you you should be informed if you're being detained, why you're being detained. Um, but if you want to ask that question, am I being detained? And if the answer is no, then, then no, you, you, you don't need to help but it might go some way in order to dispelling any possible um, any possible reason that they might go on to develop a reasonable suspicion. It's an, it's an unfortunate balancing act, really, because you you might not be doing you might be doing something completely innocent, and a police officer might walk up to you and ask and ask you what you're doing, and mm. you have to form that balancing act because, you, as Estelle says, you don't want to give them anything to form a reasonable suspicion. You could be you could be doing something completely innocent, but if you're a little bit difficult with them, then that is sometimes grounds alone to, for them to form the reasonable suspicion. So it, it's, a, it's a very fine balancing act because you should ask if you were detained and if you aren't detained, you, you do have a right to walk away. But it may be, sometimes it's wise to engage with them because if you have an in, innocent explanation, mm. there's no harm in giving it to them because then they won't form any reasonable suspicion. But if you start getting a little bit difficult, sometimes that can be used as a way for a police officer to say, right, I had a reasonable suspicion, he was not answering my questions, he was being evasive, therefore I stopped and searched him. It's a rather unfortunate balancing act that you have to do. There seemed like there was a gap there, really, to be exploited, or mm. for things to go wrong, I should say, rather than exploited. Mm. Atik, have you got any views on that? If I'm driving in my car, for example, innocently, I've got insurance, road tax, MOT, everything's coming up clear, and the police stop me, what should I do? I remember um, before I got into law, I had a situation. Mm. I was stopped by police, um, and I got out. And actually, first question I asked was, "Why did you stop me?" Right. Um, and often, when you are quite forthcoming to the police, if they've got nothing to hide, then they'll be quite easily able to answer that. But if they are acting inappropriately, you know, you more than often catch them off guard. And I think Estelle's really hit the nail on the head here. The key is detention. Are you detained or not? If you are, then certain rules kick in. If you're not, then very politely just say to your officer, "Look, um, if I'm not, if I don't have to stop and talk to you, I don't want to, and I'm going to leave." And that's it. Absolutely fabulous. Um, it's been an, a brilliant show. Um, I've certainly learned quite a lot. I hope the listeners have managed to pick up some uh, points from these uh, three experts. Gregory, you've been fantastic. Atik, 
as usual, a lot of good input from Dean and Estelle. Can I just say very eloquently put, you made your co- points across well. I'd like to thank my uh, other guests, Montel uh, and Sandra, for taking time out uh, to assist us on this show. Um, if you've got any further questions for us, you can email them into the office, uh, into the numbers that I've given you: 0152481822 and 0779481822. Email us too. Thank you very much, listeners, for tuning in. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Thank you, my guests. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at inspirefmluton.